What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Trench Talk. And today we are joined by Ted Larson, currently a free agent, but has been in the NFL for a pretty long time and moved around. So again, Ted, thanks for uh, coming on today. Yeah, happy to be here. So last week when we had Matt Skur on, we talked a lot about with OTAs happening uh, right now, how they're doing it all through Zoom and they're working on their workouts. Um, but as a free agent, obviously that situation is you know different for you. So how has the quarantine right now um, impacted your free agency time of, you know, your workouts, you know, who you're talking to, how's that working? It's been a weird year as far as that, because there was no, there was a first, first phase of free, free agency, but there wasn't really a second phase. You know, there, there wasn't a chance to have these teams evaluate their players that they have on the team. There wasn't a chance for these teams to evaluate uh, rookies. So uh, the kind of second phase of free agency has been slow and there's a lot of uh, veterans kind of just waiting around in, in limbo and, for me, it's it's an experience where I've been, I've been in the lockout in 2011, so it's not a dissimilar year from that where there's not a lot of direction. You're kind of just waiting for that green light to go, and uh, you know I I spend the off season in Phoenix, so I've been out in Phoenix working out like I normally do, just haven't been associated with the team. So, I'm kind of just biding my time, trying to stay healthy, trying to stay in good shape, and and waiting for uh, you know whenever the the veteran market really picks up. Right. So then I, I know they're eyeing still that return for, you know, September and however that's going to work. Do you think there's going to be like a big push right before then where they're going to, everyone's, you know, like all these vets are going to get picked up or is it going to kind of be like, you think a, a mid season type move? I think it's going to be a situation where these teams have a lot of rookies. They have a lot of young guys that don't have a ton of experience and they're going to need guys that, that a can play, you know, on with very little training camp, you know, if, if there's limited training camp, uh, the, the development of these young guys is going to be hampered. So I think you're going to need someone who you can plug and play. And then someone even, uh, you know, where you can add that, that veteran experience and, and then bring these young guys up and kind of fast track them. So I think it's, it's going to be a tiered thing, you know, where maybe it's right before training camp, maybe it's after a week of training camp, maybe it's after training camp altogether. But I think there will be a strong market for veteran players that have experience and that can contribute right away. Cool. And have there been any updates from like the NFLPA on what the situation is going to be, or do they have a better idea about, you know, moving forward, how it's going to work? I think the situation kind of is just status quo. You know, I don't, Yeah. I think that some of the teams have uh, opened up their facilities to rehab and, you know, their social distancing procedures in place. I think that there's not going to be an off season. I know the NFL extended the virtual off season two more weeks, but I, I doubt that that anybody gets anything going right now. You know, I don't think anybody's going to be back in, in the facility until uh, late July, like training camp. So then what are you doing right now for, you know, workouts and stuff? Do you have a full home setup that you're doing? Or are you going out to a public space that you've been able to, you know, get access to? Yeah. For, uh, since I signed with Arizona uh, in 2014, I've been working at it, uh, a place called O-Line Performance run by Charles Bentley. And mm-hmm. there's a, a handful of maybe 20 offensive linemen that work out there. So I've, I've spent every offseason out here training, and, and we were lucky to uh, kind of con- continue working out here all through the, the quarantine. And, and I, I do have a home setup. I've got like a rack and some weights. So, you know, I've, I've had some workouts that I've done in my garage. But, but I got pretty lucky that I had a place to work out during the quarantine. Cool. Yeah, that was actually the interesting thing. Is I, so I've been following Charles Bentley for a really long time. Um, and mostly because people always reach out to me asking about how to be a better lineman and, you know, what workout should I do and all this stuff. I'm like, 
don't even bother with me right now. Just go follow him. Cause like the amount of stuff he posts, even on like how posture affects and your posterior chain and just all the simple things that you can correct. And you know, the S curve in your spine and how it affects your run block and all these crazy things that I had no idea about that I've learned from him has been, you know, incredible resource for me as a coach, but also, you know, little bits to try and help other people. Um, so what's it like working out at like an old lineman gym? Uh, I think I think it's it's good from a couple different standpoints. You know, you have, like you said, uh, Le Charles and, and his group there is a great resource as far as, you know, analyzing, uh, every I guess the physiology of of line play and 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 specifically tailoring workouts for bigger guys. You know, because there's a lot of stuff you have to take into account when you're you're dealing with guys that are over 300 pounds and, you know, five, six, seven years in the NFL, you got a lot of mileage on you. So workouts right. are tailored you know for offensive linemen but you also get that that camaraderie of working out with a lineman you know and, and you get to spend the offseason rather than training with a couple uh, you know defensive backs and a quarterback you know it's all alignment working out and mm-hmm. kind of shooting the breeze and, and joking around and, and making fun of each other is there anything where you know you don't talk you know secrets because you're on different teams or is it still that like community aspect where you're kind of you know willing to help everyone out yeah absolutely i think that the goal is growth and uh development and i don't think there's any secrets uh you know the guys don't already know about you know i mean yeah i feel like you you go to teams and every every team basically does the same you know you all run inside zone outside zone gap scheme so i think that uh having having guys from different teams really contributes to to players growing and and hearing things certain ways and and picking up little technique things throughout your entire career and i i i use i guess i recommend for young guys you know, they're, how do I get better? How do I learn how to be a better pass blocker, run blocker? I think that the resources they, they put out are, are phenomenal. So I kind of, that's, mm. that's the first thing I say, you know, hit up the Google machine and then, and then check out uh, O-line performance on, on Instagram or social media. Great. So the one thing I've actually noticed is, you know, they've kind of done a, not rebranding, but uh, I see they go by OLP Media now. And then I also noticed that they had, uh, is it a sports agency dedicated to just specifically O-line? Yeah, I think they, they split up their Instagram a little bit into training, into O-line specific stuff, and then kind of like a, a general content page. Yeah. So they have a couple different pages. And and LaCharles and, uh, has set up an, an agency just strictly for, as of right now, offensive linemen. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's a it's an interesting uh, angle, and I, I think uh, I recently signed with you know I was with the same agency for ten years and recently made the change, but I think it's an interesting uh, thing, and, and going forward, I think it'll it'll be pretty successful. What is the value proposition you know on on your end for signing with an agency dedicated specifically to alignment? I think if you're maybe a top guy, it's it's not going to have the value that they, if you're uh, so for me, I'm I'm kind of a swing guy. I can play multiple positions. I I add veteran leadership. I have almost almost 90 starts, almost 140 games played. So I think for for a guy like me, they're going to be able to translate that value into something the teams can mm-hmm. appreciate and and sell that versus just hey, here's a guy a 10 year vet. You know, I think that you're selling maybe a, a certain uh, something that. that that doesn't jump off the paper, but they're going to, because they're so familiar with offensive linemen, they're going to be able to uh, translate that a little bit better. Um, so what's it like, like you said, you've moved around a bunch of different teams. 
how does that, you know, what, what impacts those decisions where you've moved from, again, what is it, five different teams at this point? Uh, was it always, you know, you were looking for something new? Yeah, well, I mean, I played on my whole rookie contract mm-hmm. and uh, signed with, with Arizona for a couple of years. I would have loved to be back, uh, but it kind of free agency went a little, I guess, a little bit unexpected in 16. I ended up in Chicago and I would love to be back in Chicago, sign with Miami on a three-year mm-hmm. deal and uh, play two out of three years with that. The whole coaching staff got fired and uh, that kind of screws up the deal there at the end. But it, it, I have bounced around. I would have liked, obviously, to have a little more stability. It just kind of right. kind of didn't happen. There was a lot of coaching changes that have happened and that doesn't necessarily help uh, continuity on a team. But I think, if anything, you know, being on so many different teams, I've, I've picked up so many different offensive schemes, so many, mm-hmm. worked with so many different coaches, that that kind of just adds to uh, my general experience and, and gives me confidence to, to join a team if I had to join a team in, in middle training camp or middle of the season. Uh, you know, I feel like I would be able to pick up their scheme fairly quickly. Right. And, you know, was there ever a city that you kind of considered as like, I know I'm going to make this my home base or did you always have, you know, your house in Arizona and then kind of just went from, you know, Tampa Bay to Arizona back? Yeah, no, when, uh, you know, I lived in Tampa the, the four years I played there. I had actually grown up in Tampa. So it kind of felt like a hometown. Uh, never bought a house there, but when I signed with the Cardinals, so I bought a house in Phoenix and decided uh, it's going to be our home base. And it served as our home base since uh, 2014. And it's, it's been super convenient to have a home uh, when you're playing for, you know, we were Miami, Chicago, Miami, Chicago, back and forth. I mean, it, it gives the kids like a level of continuity that, right. And the level of stability, uh, even though they, it's like uh, April rolled around and the kids are like, where are we going? Like, are we going somewhere? I mean, my son's three years old and he's been in uh, every April. He's usually in, he's, going to another city for OTA. So uh, they actually don't mind, you know, moving from city to city, but it is nice to have a home that from January until usually April or May that, that you're in. And so, you know, looking back at your life and looking at, you know, this different sports you played, the thing I've, I've always found with a lot of linemen is like, they were always the biggest kids growing up. So they were just automatically linemen. Did you play football from a really young age? And that's just kind of, you know, the way it went or what did you play growing up? Yeah, I played. I, I, my parents didn't let me play football because I would have played with, I guess, older kids, you know, because mm-hmm. I, was, I was a little bit bigger. So I played baseball, soccer, basketball. I really, probably what I enjoyed most until I could play football was, was soccer. I was a goalie and I would try to be as physical as possible. You know, you can kind of like jump people's legs and, and push them out of the way. But I started playing football when I was in high school, uh, freshman mm-hmm. year. I was never a super big kid, you know, even when I graduated high school, I was only about 230 pounds. So uh, kind of just, I, I tried to use my athleticism and, and I've, I've worked over, you know, a bunch of years to, to gain a bunch of muscle mass and I'm only, you know, six, two and a half, six, three. So I think I've, I've tried to maximize the, I guess the genetics that I have and the limited genetics, I should say. And uh, it's worked out decent. Yeah. So then I know some people that put on, incredible amounts of weight between you know high school and university uh when you went to nc state did you put on like a bunch of weight before the season started or was it like a gradual thing over time where you just started to get you know a little bigger and bigger 
It was for me. It was gradual. You know, I was yeah. like I said, it was about two thirty maybe when I graduated high school, and then uh, twenty or twenty pounds a year maybe. And hmm. I, you know, I was playing defensive line for the majority of my time in, in at NC State. So being two seventy five was kind of cool. And then uh, you know, I switched to offensive line, and so I'm like, I have to gain a little bit of weight and played the first couple of years in the NFL around 300, 305 and and kind of just was uh playing a lot of center kind of was sick of sitting on bull rushes so I, I think uh, it was between like my 5th and 6th year I decided to gain about 15 pounds so like right now I play around 2 325, 330 so it's it's been 100 pounds since since I graduated high school and uh I think uh you know I'm ready in a couple of years to, to shed some of that weight. Yeah. You know, that's always one of the interesting things you see is like a bunch of old linemen after they finish playing, how much weight just like drops off immediately. Um, is that from like mostly a caloric, a caloric in, intake standpoint where you don't have to eat, you know, 3000, 4,000 calories a day or how does that like, how much do you actually eat every day? I, I, I think it has to do with a couple of different factors. But I mean, for, for me, as, as far as I eat, it's gotten less and less as I get older. I think mm. your metabolism slows down and you need to be a little smarter with what you eat. I try to really take care of my body. I'm 32. And, uh, you know, so I know that window is small. So I try to eat, eat pretty cleanly and, and stay in pretty good shape. But, uh, you know, as far as guys losing weight, I think it goes either one or two ways. You either blow up and get even bigger or if you've been a guy who's a 305, 310, like struggling to keep weight on, eating a bunch of food, I think you're finally just like, okay, now I can like, I can shed some weight. And, you know, from what I've seen with guys that have retired that I know, you know, they sh you shed 20 pounds pretty quick and then maybe the next 10 or 15 takes a little while. But mm -hmm. I think offensive linemen are, are pretty smart guys and they know what they're doing. And, and even though they're, they are a little bigger, I think it, it takes a little bit of know-how to, to gain that weight. So losing it, I think is, it's kind of the next progression for them. And you've seen a bunch of guys lose a bunch of weight pretty quickly after they get done playing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like obviously the big one on it, like everyone knows of right now is like Joe Thomas. Yeah. He, right? lost he a bunch of weight, yeah. did lost a bunch of weight, did a ton of swimming. Apparently that was one of the biggest things he did for, you know, low impact on his joints. And then he was just on the Titan games with the rock. Like he's one of the athletes on it now and he's like, he's ripped. Um, so it's always really cool to see. Uh, but the one thing I did want to go back to a little bit of, about with, you know, your time at NC State is what's that switch like when you move from, you know, defense to offense? And did you ever play any O-line in high school before that to give you, you know, any bit of experience at it? Yeah, I played both ways in high school. I don't know that I ever knew what I was doing, you know, I mean, <laughs> as far as the scheme, because uh, when I had to relearn in college, it was, it was completely different. But uh, making the switch – you know, I guess being playing a defensive line, you're in really good shape. So it was like I was in way better shape than the offensive lineman. And I could just run around and be physical. The thing that took me the longest was, uh, you know, actually knowing what I was doing. You know, it wasn't just, uh, you know, running ahead. And, and like our defense was pretty simple when I played D-line. Mm -hmm. So learning the scheme and learning the technique and learning just how to stay balanced and not fall on your face every other play was, was kind of the toughest thing for me. Right. And then so because, you know, you only played O-line for two years uh, in college, was it a really big adjustment when you you know went to the NFL as an O-lineman? Yeah, because I'd only played center in college. So right. I had to learn how to play guard 
uh, pretty much in training camp and, and actually ended up playing, I think, like 10 or 11 games at, at left guard my rookie year for Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, l- trial by fire. And, I mean, it really took me, I don't know, three or four years to actually <laughs> feel like I was like, okay, I, I actually know what I'm doing. I can explain mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And I'm not just kind of like guessing out there. But to, uh, to, to really learn, you have to have some good coaches who are willing to explain things and, and just, you know, the repetition that you get over so many years, you know, you became, you become kind of an expert at. So then what, you know, as you start to learn how it works to be an offensive lineman and what it took, did you have a certain play style that you kind of gravitated towards and then kind of stuck with? Sure. I think, and I think that progresses and it changes based on what the culture of the team is, uh, what kind of what the team likes to do. When I got to Tampa Bay, there were a lot of, uh, the league was a little bit different. It was a little more lenient as far as, you know, f- aggressiveness and physicality. And, and those guys kind of set the, I guess, set the, uh, <clears throat> the standard with, mm-hmm. you know, we were going to finish guys. We were going to knock guys over piles and, and finish guys in the ground. And so it was a super kind of physical thing that, that I tried to carry over to Arizona. And they were like, you know, like, you're wild. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I kind of calmed down. And, and it, I think it varies from team to team. Some guys, you know, some teams like that, you know, guys finishing guys. And some guys just want, you to be that quiet professional. So I think for me, it's like you're bouncing around from team to team. You try to play as hard as you can through the whistle. And for me, that's always been important, you know, playing, playing through the whistle, being aggressive. And, and, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. So I feel like the, the, the aggression, you know, aggressive factor plays a big, yeah. uh, big aspect in my game. Yeah. Do you miss that style of NFL where, you know, there was, you know, less holding calls and more things were allowed, you know, after the play? Yeah, for sure. There was definitely a transition, I think, with the health and safety of the NFL Hmm. where, you know, you can't knock guys over the pile or, you know, take those shots that you used to be able to take. And, I mean, that was a slow transition. And I think if the NFL finds you enough, you're like, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to hit any guys. That's kind of what happened here. I got a bunch of – got a bunch of fines like that and and flags and you kind of just like all right I'm done but uh, I think that the NFL is always concerned with health and safety of players and and that's important but you can definitely still get some some cheap shots in when yeah when you want. so then what was the fine that was you know such a number that you finally said like okay I might need to change a little bit like can you disclose well, I mean, that yeah I mean I'm on my rookie deal and I back then I think fines were a little bit less I never had like a $15,000 fine but okay you know, a couple $7,500 fines, you know, for blocking a guy and there's been no whistle and it's just, they say he's out of the, the play, mm-hmm. but I mean, he easily can make the tackle. You're like, well, geez, dude, like I can't be fined $7,500 once or twice a year or three times a year. It's like, it's not, it's not worth it. And you would have these, uh, you know, you have a call to, to review it with whoever's in charge mm-hmm. of the fines and you're, you're trying to plead your case and it's, it's times it's been a guy like Matt Burke, you know, former offensive lineman. You're like, come on, dude, like cut me some slack here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I try to stay away from that. It's like the, 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 the fines uh, are no fun for sure. Right. So I, I actually didn't know that about fines that you have a chance to, you know, plead your case. Uh, is there ever, you know, with fines, whenever I've seen it, it's just been like, here's a letter on a guy's, you know, locker room door that says you've been fined 15,000 for whatever you did. Does everyone have a chance to plead their case with fines and, you know, kind of see if they can get it reduced? 
yeah, you do. You, you call in usually like a Monday or Tuesday on your day off after you get it, and <clears throat> you talk to whomever it's been. I think it's been Derek Brooks has been in charge of it, and Matt Burke. You know, it's usually a former player hmm. who has an idea of the game, and uh, it's tough to get it overturned. Usually you can get it uh, reduced. You know, I've had a couple fines reduced, but, uh, you know, I got fined. There was one time Josh Freeman threw an interception, and as we're, you know, we're running to cut, you know, tackle the guy, someone's on top of him, like, punching him. So I ran over and kind of, like, cleared the guy off of Freeman and, you know, ripped his helmet off. And mm-hmm. and I ended up getting fined, and uh, he actually took care of that fine. So that was pretty cool to have. You know, you, you usually try to have your quarterbacks back, and so for him to, to have your back when it came to the fine was nice. Yeah. So actually, what's that like with um... – so with the team I played on, we had the entire same group from basically the time I was eight years old to 18. We're at same quarterback. I was always center, same guard, same tackles. We all grew up together. Um, but then what's the situation like where you have to have a you know, really strong bond with your quarterback, you know, especially at center, a little less at guard, but where you know, there's not always that constant quarterback. It's a little bit more of a, a revolving door situation. Yeah, I think that's uh... – you know, I've been lucky to play a lot of good veteran quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So I think they have a, an idea of how it's supposed to get done. And then as a veteran player, you have an idea of how it's supposed to get done. So any, I, I feel like I see the game pretty well. So any, any, any time I'm, I'm at center, which hasn't been as much as maybe I've wanted to play a little bit more guard than center, you try to help them out because, you know, quarterbacks have so much on their plate and, mm-hmm. and they are highly paid and highly – regarded but but anything you can do to kind of whether it's blocking scheme in the run game or in the pass game take that off their plate uh i think that's where a veteran offense lineman will help them so then you know what do you think that you learned the most um you know like you said it took you four years to kind of really get your legs uh what do you think was the biggest factor and what you learned the most in that time what was the biggest thing that helped you out so when i got to arizona we had a, a coach who kind of explained uh, you know, what, basically what the defense is doing and, and what, mm. what they're trying to accomplish. And, and the more you kind of look at the bigger picture and, and see what's going on, then the more you truly understand, like, what, what is trying to get accomplished. So I think kind of having, having a, uh, someone explain it to you where, where you're learning the, the, the why as opposed to just running a play and, and knowing what both sides are doing allows you to, when you're on the field, make assessments and make judgments and and play uh with more confidence because you know what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish and if things change you can make uh adjustments and on the fly and and i think i have a level of calmness when i'm playing right because i i feel confident in what i'm doing yeah great was there um like a favorite guy that you had to play against where, you know, whenever this certain guy came on your schedule, you were super excited about? Uh, I, I mean, I think that maybe, maybe there has been, but <laughs> defensive linemen have gotten so good. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, it's more of like a risk mitigation. It's like, you know, there's just, I mean, every team has a good three technique, right? And yeah. And, and a good, D, good DN. So you're, you're trying to, you don't really circle those games on your schedule because you know every week is going to be a battle. You know whoever mm-hmm. you're against. There's not really many weeks off. I feel like when I first got in the NFL, you know, you play a team that's not not playing particularly well, and you know you're going to take advantage of them. But like I said, there's so many good defensive linemen this year or in the league that kind of every week is a is a huge challenge. 
Yeah. And so, you know, why do you think that there's all these better D linemen stuff that are coming out now opposed to, you know, five, 10 years ago? Uh, I think, you know, college players are, when you think about defensive linemen, what makes them super dangerous is, is just their athleticism and strength and speed. And you look at everybody in the NFL and they're getting stronger, faster, and we're still having to do, as an offensive lineman, you're really kind of either get you're getting in the way of them. So, I mean, as yeah. they get stronger, faster, more athletic, and then on top of that, get a better idea of what they're doing technique-wise, uh, you know, you're still doing your basic job, which is to get in front of them. So it, mm-hmm. uh, there's only so much you can do <laughs> from an athleticism standpoint against a D lineman. So, uh, I mean, like I said, there were, there was definitely, t- you know, guys you could take advantage of, but, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't, I can't pinpoint, I guess I haven't given it much thought why, you know, why the defenses are so good, but, uh, you definitely look at every team and there's, there's a dangerous three technique on, on just about every team. Have you found anything that's been the most beneficial in, you know, fighting with these guys as far as using more leverage technique, you're just, you know, raw athleticism. What, what's been your, your best defense against, I guess, their defense? I guess it depends, depends who you're going against, but I mean, it starts out with, with having, a, I think as any offensive lineman loves to run the ball. So if you have a, right. a good plan going into that week and you're going to run the ball and, and, that's kind of where you can, you know, use your your athleticism, your aggression, and set the tempo there. And then if you can build off that with some play action stuff, then that again is is pretty O line friendly. So, <laughs> I mean, it starts off with a good plan, but uh, you know, you you try to have work on your technique year round because these guys are so sound and they're so physically good that you really can't make a mistake. And I think that's what it, it comes down to with offensive line play is is limiting mistakes and you look at guys who have been successful and gotten big contracts and, and they're really guys that, that, that maybe they're not physically dominating guys like, like you'd maybe seen in the early two thousands and the nineties, but they're not really making mistakes and, and they're kind of uh, not giving the, the defensive a chance to, to make, uh, to make a big play. Yeah. And then, so I, I know the one thing you touched on earlier was like um, how smart O linemen are. Do you think that's kind of like, very common across where all O linemen I found are you know pretty intelligent guys versus D linemen or what's that situation like? Yeah, I think there's a level of uh, you know there's a cerebral aspect to playing offensive line. You know you, you've got to apply your technique and your scheme against multiple fronts, and you don't you don't know what the defense is going to come up in a you know usually under over they could be <laughs> three down it could be all these different looks. And you're applying your rules and your your scheme against that. So I think you're you're always thinking, and and it's a position where uh, you're very reactive. So you have to maybe use a little bit of game theory where you're like, oh, okay, what are they going to do? What am I going to do? So I think there is a definitely a thinking aspect to offensive line play. So I I kind of want to just talk a little bit about um, you know your life outside of football as well, because clearly that's a big part of you know again off season free agency. What do you spend a lot of your time doing when you're not working out? Uh, I guess it varies. You know, when I was in Florida, I grew up in Florida, played six years in Florida. I really enjoyed fishing, <coughs> saltwater, fly fishing specifically. Uh, out in Phoenix, I can't do that as much. But uh, in Phoenix, I uh, love to play golf, love to hike, mm-hmm. really get into mountain biking since I've been out here as well. Uh, yeah. 
I feel like that's a pretty good, you know, there's some pretty good cross training activities you can do in the desert hiking. Um, so right now, actually this past, uh, I've been taking a couple classes this past year and it's worked out pretty good being in quarantine. You know, we haven't had a ton of stuff to do. So I've been able to knock these classes out. And, uh, I think I've, I mean, it depends on the year, you know, I've got two little babies now. I got a three year old and a four year old. Yeah. <laughs> they keep me pretty busy. You know, I've got my pilot's license. I, you know, I've, I took a trip to, to Chile to fly fish this year as well. So I like to stay busy. I like to do a bunch of different right. stuff and it, it kind of just depends on where I'm at and, and what time of the year it is. Yeah. So then when you're talking fly fishing in Florida, do you go down to the keys? Yeah. You know, I, we lived in Fort Lauderdale when I was with the okay. Dolphin. Yeah. So, and then when I, I lived in Tampa, we, we would go down to the keys or the Everglades a lot. So that if you're talking about fly fishing for saltwater species, that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of the Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. We used to actually go down uh, every year to go fishing in the keys. Uh, I didn't fly fish personally. My brother was always a big fly fisherman. So that was always kind of the tough balance is like, if he wanted to go for bonefish or fly fish on the flats for tarpon versus like what I could do while he was fly fishing, it was kind of just like I had to sit there for a bit. But like the big thing for me was always, I love shark fishing. It was, I was always my favorite thing to do was like, uh, my favorite shark easily is a hammerhead. Yeah, yeah. And so just like going down, I remember the first time I actually caught my first bonnet head shark, like my first hammerhead ever. And it's like literally like this long. Yeah. Um, but it was like, it was such a cool experience going down there. Uh, the only thing for me though is the heat is crazy. Um, because you know, being from Alberta, we get cold, cold winters and it stays cold until like three weeks ago. Oh, right? really? And yeah. So usually what happens here is we get, uh, a good amount of snow in like November, kind of December. It's like not terrible, but it's not great. And then January hits and it'll be like minus 25 Celsius until March. So we'll have about two months straight of like cars yeah. are dead every day. You got to go warm up for 20 minutes, like cold. Um, so then whenever we'd go down to like Florida for spring on our, our Easter break, it's like, it's such a shock to your system going from that temperature all the way up to, um, you know, even Florida in, in late March was still yeah, um, it's gonna be in the pretty 80s, high. 80s, yeah. yeah. And even just the, you know, the sun off the water, yeah. right? Just it's that glare is it's crazy. Um, so yeah, that's always been the big adjustment for me, but what's it like? Have you always been more of a, a hot weather guy and has it been, you know, is there any positives to training in those kind of weather conditions in, you know, Florida, Arizona? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know, I, I grew up in Florida. I live in Arizona, played a lot in Florida. I actually enjoy cold weather because I mean, I, I don't know if it's a bigger guy, you know, you can, you, you can be pretty comfortable in, in cold weather, but yeah. Uh, and you kind of just cover up, you know, throw a hoodie on. Uh, but I training in the heat. Yeah, it's brutal. And, you know, being in Arizona, I think it's in the one tens right now. So it's like, <clears throat> for me, I try to look at it as an advantage. Right. Uh, I think the dry heat of Arizona is not as brutal as the humidity of South Florida. I mean, the humidity of South Florida is unreal. You're just dripping and dripping sweat and it's, it's tough. Uh, the sun is brutal as well. You know, whenever I go fishing, I'm covered in like hat, you know, face yep. mask, long sleeves. <clears throat> I don't even want to mess with applying sunscreen all day. I put it on and then yep. just cover up with, with all those, you know, sleeves and pants. 
because yep. it is so brutal and it's like especially when you're out in the flat there's no no place to hide from it but you know the, I, I do love fishing and to hear you talk about shark fishing there's so many different types of fishing you can do in in south yeah. florida you know that's one of the reasons it's so great is you know if it's windy which a lot of times it's windy in florida you can go shark fish or yep. or fish you know I guess everything you do is pretty weather dependent, but there's so many, so much variety, whether it's in the back country or whether it's offshore or whatever. And I, I definitely miss that part of Florida, mm-hmm. especially, uh, you know, I have a boat down in, in Isla Morada and I haven't yep. gotten to use it this year. So it's like, I'm kind of every uh, past couple of days, I'm like, how far is it to drive to Miami from Phoenix? Maybe I should drive there and use the boat for a you know, week or so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was always, you know, the good thing is when we'd go down to Florida for a week, um, we'd always schedule our offshore days where we do, you know, one or two days where we'd be going offshore for tiger sharks or, you know, Amico Jacks or whatever we were going for. Um, but then whenever we had our, our days, you know, for the rest of them with our guide, it'd be, it's not super windy. We can go out to the Gulf today and go for, you know, big groupers or big sharks yeah. or you know, it's super calm. So we'll go with, you know, for my brother so he can hit the flats or we'll go back in the Everglades and catch, you know, snapper and snook and all that kind of stuff for the day. And yeah, that was always a really cool thing is every day you could kind of pick a different, uh, something that you want to go after and, you know, find like we did, uh, have you ever caught a sawfish? No, I've never, I've seen, I've seen a couple when I've been back in the Everglades national park, but I've never caught one. Yeah. Yeah. We caught, um, two one day. Uh, the, wow. the day we went for him and my brother caught a, a 15 foot, uh, including the, um, the saw yeah. and the, the first time we actually like, we didn't see it cause obviously the water's so damn murky, but the first time we saw it at the boat, we saw the entire saw just come out of the water, like four feet in the air and then swipe back and forth a couple times with all those teeth yeah. or whatever you call it on it. And it scares the absolute shit out of you. Just seeing this like a literal prehistoric animal. Yeah. Um, and then I caught one after that. It was like 10, 12 feet, but it was worse because it got tangled up in the rope that we had the anchor attached to. <laughs> so with our guide, we had to like bring the boat to shore and like haul in the sawfish to the shore and untangle it from the anchor line. And it was just like, it's an absolute nightmare situation, but it's like some of the stuff you find back there as far as like, you know, the alligators and the sawfish and, just the shit that happens back there. It's crazy. It is unbelievable. And it's, it's such a resource and you hate to see, you know, they've, they've had some trouble with, you know, the water quality and, and a lot of the grass mm-hmm. dying and, and you just hope that it, it can, <clears throat> you know, guys will take care of it. And, uh, you know, it can, it can stay such a resource. Cause you know, that's something that, you know, my kids, I haven't gotten to fish them a ton, but you know, you hope in five or 10 years that the, the fishing is still as, as, good as it's been you know i've had me and my wife have spent so much time back there especially in the everglades mm-hmm. national park and it's, it's it's an amazing resource the really awful thing is when the hurricane hit last year was it last year okay. oh, um, there was a hurricane in 2017 when i was there yeah so um you know when that hit and we saw like all the restaurants in island Morata that you know we would go to um like you know ma's fish cafe and there, there was a couple other ones uh, the hungry tarpon and stuff that were just like these iconic restaurants yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. unreal food. And they're just, they're literally gone. Um, and some of them have been able to rebuild, you know, Bud and Mary's reopened, but, uh, 
a lot of the stuff down there was just like there's just so little land versus the water that is yeah, like the, the anything storm comes. Surface, it was it was funny that I guess not funny maybe lucky I was on short term injured reserve so I was coming back uh, from a torn bicep but that hurricane was coming and I had my skiff <laughs> I was living in Fort Lauderdale and my skiff was in Isla Mirada I was like I got to go get this thing like and pull it yeah. out of the keys like I don't know what's what's because they weren't sure where the hurricane was going to hit and so luckily I. I drove down one day after rehab and picked it up and, and drove my skiff back to, to, to Fort Lauderdale. Otherwise it, it might've been, you know, completely ruined because that hurricane in 2017 yeah. did such damage like you talked about. Yeah. Was there ever uh, like a certain kind of fish that, you know, you loved catching and eating or was fish a big part of your diet, you know, living in that area? No, because in Fort Lauderdale, it's, there's not much, uh, it's a lot of offshore fishing mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like you got to kind of pick your days i mean obviously you know grouper and and mahi are are something i like to catch offshore and eat but as far as uh eating it a ton from catching it, it not not a not a ton not as much as i no. would like but I, I you know i do love you spend enough time fishing in party you, you find little spots you know where you've got you cut you know a couple of white baits or or shrimp and you go back and absolutely you know hammer the snapper so i mean if i was gonna eat a fish it's it's probably you know some kind of a snapper you know and they're so easy to catch and you know easy to cook uh that's that's definitely something i miss doing yeah yeah we don't have a ton of great we have really good fishing here uh fly fishing in our rivers but you don't really want to eat any of it um a lot of it's protected to begin with and the stuff you can eat it's like not always yeah, so actually, so one thing I kind of want to create is like a recurring segment is um, obviously with, you know, linemen, eating is this big thing that everyone is always, you know, talking about or discussing. Uh, so I kind of want to create a recurring segment about what is your favorite food? What would be the one food that you actually, if you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, God, if I, I mean, I love steak, you know, and it's kind of gone all over, you know, as far as what cut, uh, you know, it used to be a ribeye filet. I mean, I've been huge into like uh, barbecue tri-tip, you know, try, if I had to eat one thing every day, it would probably be tri-tip and, and some white rice. That's like my, my go-to yeah. thing. I probably do eat it every day almost, but uh, you know, I've got, I've got like a Traeger grill fed mm-hmm. that for like six years. And, and, and really the, the, for me, the, the tri-tips been like an unreal uh, it's a meat that, uh, it's not super hard to cook. I kind of reverse sear it. You know, I bring it up to like 125 and then mm. I cook it, uh, sear it after that. And, you know, I usually cook two or three on a Saturday and have it for, for the rest of the week, heat it up for lunch and, and dinner. But I mean, it's, for that, it's pretty simple. And, you know, if I could think about it, there would probably be some meals that be like, Oh my God, this is like my favorite meal of my life. But yeah, uh, something you're going to eat every day is for me, it's, Try tip all the way cool and so yeah I, I think it was you i saw that had like some brisket sandwiches a couple days ago yeah. uh yeah so do you do a lot of like your own smoking and stuff absolutely yeah 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 i got my wife there was like a when we first moved to arizona there was like a traeger in a like a mall and uh it, it's become a pretty big company traeger with the the pellet smokers but at the time i was like what is this thing you got me and but we've gotten really into it and we enjoy, you know, smoking, whether it's chicken, usually some kind of beef, brisket, uh, beef ribs, something like that. But 
Yeah, we usually have that four or five times a week. Hmm. And then, so I'm actually curious about, uh, for a while, red meat was kind of seen as this like bad thing where people were ingesting, you know, too much red meat. Uh, but it's actually kind of went the opposite direction now, I think, where a lot more people are going towards red meats for the nutrients that it contains that you can't always get from, you know, lean chicken and, and turkey and stuff. Do you consume mostly red meat now? Yeah, I do. And I, I mean, like I said, I, I try to, I like, do, I do like leaner cuts, you know, whether it's like a London broil or a filet or like a flank steak. I try to, you know, stay away from the ribeye and stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I do like red meat. I feel better when I have, I'm eating red meat. You know, I don't want to, I enjoy chicken as well, but I don't want to say it's like a weak bird. You know, I've heard people yeah. talk about <laughs> chicken's like a weak bird. Uh, but yeah, I, I do like red meat and I'm sure there, there's some kind of a benefit for it. But mm. for me, I, I perform better and feel better when I'm, when I'm eating steak as opposed to chicken. It might change as, yeah. as I get older. I've got friends that are older and they're like, I have gout. I can't eat any red meat. Like it's killing me. Yeah. But I hope it, I hope it doesn't get there. Yeah. Great. Um, so we're pretty much out of time, but the one thing I always want to ask everyone, um, cause I, I get a lot of people asking me about what do I do to make the NFL any advice on, you know, work ethic, determination, drills, that kind of stuff. Do you have any advice that you could lend to people listening about, um, you know, things they, they should maintain if they do want to make it far in football? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I always felt like I would play in college and, <clears throat> you know, it seemed like a dream. It seemed like a far dream, but I kind of had goals, you know, I had small goals, long-term goals and, and kind of like a, a burning desire to know that I really wanted to do this. Uh, same thing going to the NFL. It seemed like kind of a pipe dream, but it ended up becoming, you know, it's a 10-year plus reality. So I think everybody wants it, and I think that you're, you have to make sacrifices for sure. You know, whether it's uh, staying home and, and resting or going to bed early, you know, it's a lot of little sacrifices that you make. And I think that pays off, you know, when, when you get drafted or when you get a chance to, to play in college and, and earn a scholarship. <clears throat> There's like, I tell guys on, you know, since I've started this, my Instagram, it's only been a, a couple months, but there's so many young guys that reach out and, and they want to know. And you got to think right now with YouTube and Google and, and Instagram and social media, there's so many opportunities to learn stuff. There's right. So many videos, so much content out, so many resources. You can reach out to whatever your favorite NFL player. I always, try to respond to, to DMs and messages. It's such a time, it's, there's such accessibility to reach out and learn and yeah. to watch film, watch games, whatever. I think, but like, it's, like I said, I think it comes down to a lot of little sacrifices and, and having goals that you work towards. And, and uh, you know, whether that's playing in, high, in college or, or the NFL, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a tough thing to earn. But, um, you know, I... I appreciate all the, all the, the work I've put in and it, and it makes it that much sweeter. Yeah. And then do you have, you know, a timeline as far as, you know, you've been playing for, you know, basically 10 years at this point. Do you have an end game in mind about, you know, what you want to do when you're done playing, how long you want to play for, you know, um, after I guess this year? Um, yeah. Do you have any sort of, yeah, I mean, I think timeline? Two, I'd like to play maybe two or three more years. My body feels good. Uh, I think eventually it's just going to come down to like transitioning to another job. And I think I'd like to go back to school to get my uh, MBA. Uh, yeah. 
master's in, in business. And I think it's like, okay, well, you're 32. Like, let's get going here on the second career. You know, and it's like, yeah, becomes more of like an age thing for me. Uh, but like I said, I feel good. Body feels good. And, and you know, the kids enjoy watching me play. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's every year you have in the NFL is a, a great experience. So uh, I have a plan for transitioning, you know, as, as the years go along, it, it changes and pivots and stuff, but uh, I definitely have a plan and, and think about two or three more years. Cool. Um, actually, the one thing I, I do want to ask you about, cause I was literally just going to crack my neck. Do you have anything that you do for, um, you know, routine physical therapy that you found helps you out a lot? Chiropractor, massage, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> over the years I've, I've done a ton of different stuff and, you do maybe there you hear people do stuff and so you try it uh right now it's pretty simple it's like one massage a week and for me that keeps me pretty good you know Mm. i've done all different kinds of art mat like it was functional range conditioning like i've done a million different things and usually massage once or twice a week has been kind of the, the simple ticket for me and kept me pretty healthy. I've, I've had some success with, you know, dry needling and, and acupuncture mm-hmm. stuff with soft tissue. If I have a soft tissue specific issue, but I keep it pretty simple with massage and, and that keeps me where I need to be. Yeah. You know, the one thing that actually, I, I didn't think it would do anything, but uh, basically I had to get a gift from my grandma to me for Christmas because uh, she was coming in super late for Christmas last year. So it's like, I just had to get her myself the gift and you know, whatever the situation. And I went to the mall and I went to like a, a showcase store. Where they show like as seen on TV products. And I got this massager that it basically wraps around your neck. You put your arms and then you kind of tuck your arms down and that's what keeps its pressure as it has all the little balls and stuff that go around oh, yeah. your neck. And I used to get probably, you know, I got headaches every uh, one every two days, depending on stress levels and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was always going to the chiropractor to help him fix me because I could never fully crack my neck myself. Um, and then after I started using this every morning, I do the massage thing on my neck for 10 minutes while I drink my coffee. And then I'm able to crack my neck after. And it's like, it's improved just my overall like health and how I feel by like, you know, five, six o'clock at night with my neck so dramatically over the past like literally two months and it was like a 50 dollar thing that i thought would break within two uses <laughs> yeah, yeah. um like but it's actually been amazing and the even the thing is i've never been able to crack my back i've always had like a super super tight back and so now i'm starting to transition in where i'm just like it's not meant for your back but i'm just sliding it down <laughs> and kind of leaning against it for another five ten minutes and yeah just like the amount of progress it's made just to have like any sort of home massage thing just to loosen up some muscles to get you know get me moving in the morning uh has been like incredible especially when it was like 40 45 bucks maybe to buy it and i was going to the chiropractor twice a week for 60 dollars a session before yeah you know Um, yeah i think i think i think if you can do stuff that feels good for you and you know works Mm -hmm. for you and and i mean really the name of the game is kind of just blood flow you know what most modalities are trying to you know get some kind of blood flow and warm up the tissue so like i said whatever works <coughs> for me it's been massage and uh lately uh 
hey, we get so much sun here and, you know, vitamin yeah. D. So I've actually been uh, laying outside one of the guys at OLP, uh, Taylor Boggs, who played a couple of years. And the NFL has been a big proponent of laying uh, naked outside. So I've been laying it naked out by my pool trying to get some vitamin D. Uh, and that's that's been my latest kind of wacky thing I do. Uh, my wife's kind of over that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you should just take a video and put it on uh, in social media. It'll be great. She's like, you'll end up on like ESPN, it's like outtakes or something. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I always try something weird every every year, <laughs> whether it lasts or not. But the massage has been something over my 10-year career that I, I do pretty religiously. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thanks to a bunch for coming on today. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, obviously people are super busy right now getting ready and gearing up for the season um, and, you know, the, all the work that goes into it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, even talk to me today. Yeah, no problem. I, I'm, I'm glad we could uh, talk. Thank you. All right. Thanks, yeah, Ted. Thanks. Have a great day. Yeah.